0: Please take out your Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter 16. You can find that on page 403 in the Pew Bible. I was quite torn over exactly what to preach this morning. Ironically, and I think humorously, I said that strangely, our text this morning was supposed to be Hebrews 10.25, about not neglecting to meet together. <laughs> On this day, of course, when many are right now neglecting to meet together, understandably. We we get that. Uh, We encourage those who are elderly and sick to not meet together. I just thought it was funny that that was the text that I had chosen to speak on this Sunday when many are not gathering. So I kind of went back and forth. On Friday, do we just press on? Do we just continue our series on church membership? Do we look specifically this week at the responsibilities of church membership as we were going to do? And that was my plan as of Friday night. I was basically done with my sermon, uh, but we settled in to start reading and relaxing Friday evening, and just the more unsettled and unhappy I got with the message, and so I started doing what I do when I don't know what to do, is I started reading some psalms, and then just decided late Friday night that, man, the psalms is just what we all need today. Uh, So many guys are doing a a coronavirus-themed message today. I didn't want to quite do that, but I also thought it would just be unwise to ignore the one thing that everyone is thinking about right now. So I'm attempting a sort of compromise. Uh, You don't need my thoughts on the coronavirus. You need God's word. My job as a minister is to give you that word while trying to connect some of what's going on right now to these timeless, universal, comforting truths. Because that's what we really need right now, isn't it? We come into this room spanning a whole spectrum of opinions and feelings about what is happening right now. Some of you probably think this whole thing is a hoax. Uh, Some of you probably think Jesus is coming back this week uh, because of the virus. And all of us are somewhere in between those extremes on this uh, spectrum. Uh, I don't tend to be a particularly fearful person. Listen, the stocking up panic hit me too. I thought on Thursday, man, if this is really something big, I'm really going to need a stock up on books. Um, <laughs> priorities. And so I, I walked to the library Thursday afternoon, but of course it was already closed. So pray for me um, because I didn't get my books. Uh, but there's lots of fear out there right now. And listen, one little piece of Matthew, common grace, wisdom, before we get to the real actual wisdom of God's word, is just simply stop watching the news. If you are someone, uh, if you are someone who is prone to worry or fear, just checking and watching the news 24-7 is not going to help your heart. Uh, input matters. Input shapes and forms. What you need is not the words of some talking head or, or the words of your Facebook friend either freaking out or mocking those who are freaking out. What you need is God's word and guess what that's what you need in any and every situation so all I want to do this morning is to direct you to that word and by God's grace encourage you with that word I want to take this time to fill your mind with the things of God and uh, hopefully direct your attention to him where is your focus what are you listening to what, what word is going to inform and, and guide you? Uh, and guide you. What, let's hear from God's word this morning. And I picked Psalm 16 because it is one of my favorite psalms. I have about 20 or 25 favorite psalms, but this is one of them. But I picked it also because it does speak specifically to what many are feeling right now. Psalm 16 is a confession of confidence. Psalm 16 is a statement of security, Right now, many are full of fear. What is fear? Fear is our response to a threat. Or often, it is our response to the perception of a threat. Fear tells us that something or someone that we love or value is in danger. Or probably most frequently, that we ourselves are in danger. So fear then is fixed and focused on the future. Good news, then. Psalm 16 is fixed and focused on the future. Psalm 16 is about the confidence that we can have in the Lord with respect to the future. Instead of fear, there can be faith and confidence and trust. Why? Well, it's because of the security that is found in the Lord and only in the Lord. Where do you go for security? Maybe some of those things are kind of crumbling away right now. Good, maybe. Allow that to direct you to find security only in the Lord. So what do we do? How do we find security always, but especially at times like these? Three points. From Psalm 16. And we've got the kids staying with us, so I'm going to try to be briefer and shorter. I can't do this psalm the expositional justice I would like to do it. So I'm going to draw some main key truths from it. So, three main points that I want us to look at. I want us to see that we are to express our confidence in the Lord. Start there. That's what David starts by doing. Then we're going to see that you are to remember and rehearse the benefits of the Lord. And then finally, that we are to rejoice. And rest in the presence of the Lord. So that's what we're going to try to do. Three simple points from this wonderful psalm. But let me read it for you first. This is the most important part. I hope you have your copy of God's word opened in front of you. And we'll follow along. I'll read it for you. Let me read Psalm chapter 16. This is God's word that is living and active. So this is what God wants to say to you today. Preserve me, O God. Secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your holy one see corruption. You make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy at your right hand. are pleasures forevermore. Now let's pray before we begin. Father, help us now. Help the preaching of your word. Father, help the hearing of your word. Father, you have promised that your word will not return void. And so we ask that you would do your work now through your word. Comfort us. Encourage us. Father, help us to fix our minds upon Jesus. And Father, if everything is falling apart, help us to rejoice and help us to hope. Father, help us to have great confidence in you because of what it is uh, that you speak and reveal to us here this morning. Help me now. It is you who encourages through your word. So I ask for you to speak. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Right. Point number one. Express your confidence in the Lord. We are all of us professionals at expressing fear and worry. How often do we express our confidence in the Lord? Because that's how David begins this psalm of security. Look at verse one. He begins with an appeal. And we don't know the specific circumstances surrounding the writing of Psalm 16, which could actually be good because it allows us to apply this to many different and diverse circumstances. So David appeals to the Lord, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. What an important but obvious place to start. David prays. He is speaking to the Lord. There is something potentially threatening. There is something that could be the cause of fear or worry. And so David calls out to the Lord. This is basic. This is foundational. Yet it's very easy for us to forget this basic thing. I considered today just re-preaching Philippians 4:6 today. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Does that still apply today? Yes. Do not be anxious about anything. That's a command. Don't panic. Pray. It takes just as much effort to worry, which is basically just talking to yourself, as it does to pray, which is instead turning that and talking to the Lord. So David appeals to the Lord. He prays, but in his appeal, he also expresses his great confidence in the Lord. It is the Lord in whom He takes refuge. And a refuge is a place of safety. it's a place of security. In this case, it is a person of safety and shelter. And David finds great refuge in the metaphor of refuge. He flees to this metaphor many. Times Look over at chapter 17, verse 7. These are all David. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior, of those who seek refuge. Flip back to chapter 11, verse 1. Chapter 11, verse 1. David, in the Lord I take refuge. Keep going back. Chapter 7, verse 1. O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Look above that to chapter 5, verse 11. Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Chapter 2, verse 12. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. That's just a couple of them. David keeps going after chapter 17 and uses this again and again and again. Literally, this word refuge means to flee to the place of protection or safety. If fear is our response to a threat, uh, to danger, a Christian's response is not fight or flight, but it is always flight. It is always to flee to the Lord for refuge. That's what the Christian does. So David finds and expresses great confidence in the Lord, his refuge. The person of God is the place of safety and security. Thus, he is the only source of true confidence. So look at verse two. David keeps going. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. So God is two things there. He is your Lord and he is your good he is God and he is good. He is sovereign, that's Lord, and he is kind, he is good. And this is why and how you can have confidence in him. This is why and how he is our refuge because he is both God and good. He's sovereign and benevolent. He's powerful and kind. And I love that second line. Listen to how confident this is. I have no Good apart from you. Do you really believe that, that God is the source of all of your benefits? That might be tested as maybe some of those other things that you tend to find your goodness in maybe fade away. Will you be able to say that you have no good apart from him? That all of your good comes from him and thus that you will find good only as you look to him To find it there is no good outside of God 73 25 Psalm 73 whom have I in heaven but you and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you do you express your confidence in the Lord do you express your confidence to the Lord Do threatening circumstances lead you to pray to God, your refuge? You must always begin by regularly and intentionally rehearsing and expressing your unwavering confidence in the Lord. Remember, instead of listening to yourself, what David does in the Psalms is he talks. To himself. He talks to his soul. He encourages his soul. Why so downcast, O oh my soul? Put your hope in God. Express your confidence in the Lord. Father, this thing seems uncertain. This thing makes me nervous. Everyone around me is freaking out. Everyone is getting sick. Preserve me, O oh God. You are my refuge. You are my good. Don't let me forget. Help. I am confident. Help my lack of confidence. Express your confidence. Pray. That's all we're saying here. Pray. But don't do that alone. Look at verse 3. This is what we were supposed to be talking about today until everything went crazy. This is why, Lord willing, we're going to keep gathering for as long as we can. Because listen, that's, that's what Christians do. right? They, they gather. But look at this. Right, look at verse 9 first, actually. Cheat ahead. Look at verse 9. There we see gladness and Oh, there's a page turn. It's, a great, it's not a good page turn. There's gladness and joy in the Lord in verse 9. Look at verse 11. There's fullness of joy in pleasure and pleasure. So the Christian delights himself in the Lord. Obviously, we're getting to that. But go back to verse 3. The Christian also then delights himself in the people of the Lord. It is the saints. It is God's people. Those chosen people. By him, those set apart that are the excellent ones, and it is they that David finds delight in. And as a king, David, delighting in his brothers and sisters in the Lord. Christians delight in other. Christians, Christians delight to be with other Christians, as we saw in John 13 and first John four. love for God, which flows out of love from God, then flows into love for the people of God. Listen to Calvin on this verse. I love this. He says, we ought therefore highly to value and esteem the true and devoted servants of God and to regard nothing as of greater importance than to connect ourselves with them. And this we will actually do if we wisely reflect on what true excellence and dignity consist and do not allow the vain splendor of the world and its deceitful pomps to dazzle our eyes. That's a wonderful quote. Is your delight in those whom the world deems great? Who are all the people that you're following on the social media thingies that you're using, or is your delight in those whom our God deems great? Are your eyes dazzled by the splendor and pomp of the world or the simplicity and the purity of God's people? Christians delight in being with other Christians. So yes, express your confidence in the Lord, but don't forget that we must express that confidence in the Lord corporately. We need one another to do this. So regardless of what happens in the coming days and weeks, brothers and sisters, we have a responsibility to care for one another, especially those among us who are particularly vulnerable right now, those who are older, those who are sick, those who are alone. Reach out, call, pray, gather together in small groups. If you are healthy and young, see if there's some way you can help or serve someone who may not be. Christians live life with other Christians. Yes, we're going to be wise. We need to be wise. We obey our government. We're going to follow all of those things. Uh, But in some form or fashion, we are going to need one another. Skip ahead to verse 7 and 8. 8 is the key, but 7 first. Look at 7. David is again expressing his confidence in the Lord. He will bless the Lord. Why? Well, because the Lord gives him counsel. But what about the second line? Look at that second line. What does this mean? In the night also, my heart instructs me. Kind of sounds like follow your heart, doesn't it? (laughs) I'm the one always up here saying, don't do that. Don't listen. Don't follow your heart. Uh, What is David saying there? Well, in a sense, he is saying that, but you cannot separate the two lines. You have to read line two in light of line one. Remember Hebrew poetry parallelism. These lines go together. Uh, how is it that the Lord gives him counsel? Well, consider the very first psalm. It sets the framework for everything else. Psalm chapter one, verse two. The blessed man is the one um, in whom uh, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Or consider Psalm 119, a love song to God's law. Verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Or verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. That's how David's heart instructs him. Line two is still just line one. It is the Lord giving him counsel, but it is the Lord giving him counsel through the word given to David that David has then stored up in his heart and is now constantly meditating on. This is how God shapes and changes and molds us. We have his word. He speaks Through his word, he counsels and he instructs us through his word. And so God's people treasure that word and store up that word and think on that word. God's people are shaped by the primary influence of God's word being the input that they take in. And then God's word being the lens through which they see and discern everything else. God's word is what counsels David. And it is a good word. It is a word living and active, a word that is able to make you wise for salvation, a word that is able to make you wise for insanity and panic and fear. It is a word that gives you confidence because this word communicates God himself. And thus, here's the key. Here's the main thing. Here's the heart of the psalm. Make sure and get this. Here's why David is so confident. Verse eight. I have set the Lord always before me. That's what you have to do. What have you set always before you? Maybe pull up your iPhone and check that screen time app for a hint of what it is that it always set before you. Uh, Maybe you set social media always before you. Maybe you set Netflix always before you. Many of us are tempted right now to set the news always before us. Mind set Matters what is, what is set before your mind matters. What your mind is constantly engaged with shapes everything about you and your life. And here in verse 8, we find the secret to David's confidence. Thus the secret to any Christian's confidence. I have set the Lord always before me. Christians are not those who just go to church. They're not those who have made a decision for Jesus or have been baptized, who are generally nice people. Christians are those who have been born again, who by the grace of God have been united to Christ in his living, his dying, and his rising again. Christians are those who are in Christ, and thus Christ is in them. And the result of this is that we were dead, but God caused us to be alive together with Christ, for by grace... We have been saved. We were dead, but now we are alive in him. We were old. Now we are new. And so a Christian that has been united to Christ by the grace of God is given a new heart and a new mind and thus a new mindset, a mind that that out of thankfulness to the Lord is fixed on the one who was so fixed on them that he sent his son to die in their place. And so for us, Christ is not some nice addition to our lives. He is our lives. He is not like, you know, we believe some truths. He's not the one that we believe some truths about. He is the one that we believe in. In other words, that we put our trust, our confidence, our hope, our everything in. Christians set Christ always in. Before them. We live our entire lives, what is sometimes called quorum deo in the Latin, before the face of God. Right, verse 8 is a determination to live your entire life in the conscious presence of the Lord. that, that changes everything. Right, do that by his grace and watch all the fears over silly things fade away in comparison. I think about it like, like if I've used this as a straightforward, but if I pick on Sam, if Sam were to come into me and he was mad at me about some theology thing, he's like, right, I'm so mad I'm going to fight you. I'd be kind of scared right? because Sam is bigger than me and he's stronger than me and he could absolutely take me in a fight. That's something to be fearful of. But then imagine if for some reason, and this is absurd, you know, I was really like, uh, what if Dwayne the Rock Johnson walks through those doors and he comes in and says, hey, Matthew, I'm with you. I got you. I'll fight for you. I'm not worried about Sam anymore, right? Like, hey, great, Sam, you're big and strong, but you're not the rock, right? The big, strong, bigger thing makes me no longer fear the small, little thing. Because I'm with the really big and powerful thing, I don't fear the comparatively small and weak things. In Christ, we have the most powerful thing. One of my favorite poets of all time was written by Samuel Rutherford back in the 17th century to this little old lady who, who is uh, suffering and weak and going to be with the Lord soon. And he writes to her talking about Satan. Christians don't know what to do uh, with Satan. We either ignore him or they panic. Um, he writes to her, hey, lady, don't fear Satan. And he says, you're stronger than Satan. Like, Wait, what? He says, because he who is in you is greater than than he who is in the world. I don't fear. I have to fear Satan, because I have Christ, and he's infinitely more powerful and good than Satan. Thus, if we can actually believe that, if we can really believe this thing, we don't really have to fear anything, right? Because we are in Christ, and nothing can touch that. I off my notes. I don't know where the rock came from uh, there. Um, but listen, here's what he says. Here's the result. Here's one of what I'm trying to get at. Look at the second line of verse 8. Because of this, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Right? If the rock is at my right hand, I am not scared of Sam. If God himself is at our right hand, we're not scared of anything. Not sickness, not the collapse of society, uh, not by death, not by anything. Brothers and sisters, express your confidence in the Lord. Set the Lord always before you. Fix your mind on him in all circumstances. Right? And second, you know how I roll. The second two will be much shorter. Kids, don't panic. Right. Point number two, remember and rehearse the benefits of the Lord. So express your confidence, fix your mind on the Lord, and do that by remembering and rehearsing his Benefits. Remember, this is Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not His benefits. What are they? We'll look at verse 5. There you see portion, cup, and lot. All of those are metaphors of God's provision and sustenance. It's God providing for and sustaining His people. He does that. But notice, again, what the portion, the cup, and the lot is. What's the benefit It's God himself. I remember a few weeks ago from Genesis 12, the reward is relationship. Remember, God blesses Abraham with himself. It is he who is our portion, our cup and our lot. He is our provision and our sustenance. Look at verse six. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Uh, Some of you know my friend, uh, Pastor Harry. He's the pastor of First Baptist in Manhattan now. So we're both, we're texting back and forth as we're both frantically trying to write whole new sermons uh, yesterday. And he texts me in the middle of this verse that Levain Bakery stopped by his church and dropped off dozens of cookies for free uh, because they had extras. And so my text in response was, the lines have fallen for you in pleasant places. (laughs) Indeed, brother, you have a beautiful inheritance. I have to confess that I was a little jealous. Levain is the best cookie you'll ever eat. So it's pleasant and beautiful to be blessed with three best cookies. But again, that's an embarrassingly silly illustration of what we are talking about here. David is using the language of Israel's inheritance of the land, right? Lots in line, that's about the land being divided up. But he's expanding that out and using these metaphors to refer to. All of life. And so I don't want you to miss this. Yes, God is a refuge. We can find security in him. We get forgiveness in him. So life with God is secure. But we shouldn't stop there. Because it's not only secure. It's also pleasant. And it's good. Since God is always and infinitely pleasant and beautiful. The benefits that he gives will always be pleasant and beautiful. Look at verse 9. Second line, yes, my flesh dwells secure. But also first line, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. Verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What a wonderful bunch of words in those verses. Glad, rejoice, life, joy, pleasures. David didn't live an easy life. But look at all these words. Those are the benefits that we have in the Lord. Jesus didn't just come that we may have life, but that we may have it abundantly. Good life, glad life, joyful life, pleasant life. Not as the world defines those things. Not those things defined materially. Not just health, wealth, and happiness in this life, but health, wealth, and happiness in the Lord. And what David is doing here, like he does even more explicitly in Psalm 103, is remembering and rehearsing the benefits of the Lord. Remember in Psalm 103, he runs through a list. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good. So don't forget Don't let all the fear and uncertainty and the news uh, that is always before you um, shape your mind and what it is that you're thinking and your heart. And instead, take intentional steps to remember and rehearse all the pleasure and the beauty and the gladness and the life and the joy, all the benefits of the Lord, which we've already seen is ultimately God himself. Which then means point number three, for confidence and security, rest and rejoice in the presence of the Lord. We read Psalm 23 earlier in the service. Why is, why is that the most famous popular psalm ever? Why, why do people love Psalm 23 so much? There's many reasons, uh, of course, but I think it's largely because of verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now, you're used to that phrase, so think about it for a second, because that's crazy. That sounds terrifying. Evil is terrifying. Death is the most terrifying of all evils. Listen, I somewhat understand the non-Christian panic response to pandemic and coronavirus. It's, it could be the most logical thing in the world. It is a very present reminder that for all of us, right, the diagnosis is terminal, As C.S. Lewis puts it in a quote that's been going around, you've probably seen it, let's not exaggerate the novelty of our situation. You and all that you love were already sentenced to death before the outbreak of this virus. I know there there are actual difficult things going on, so it doesn't matter, Uh, but I was sad that the highlight of my sports year, uh, March Madness, was was canceled. Um, But with the exception of this crazy year in college basketball, usually every single team ends their season with a loss except for one one champion one team ends with a win those are pretty bad odds Uh, we are the university of north carolina we're generally considered to be one of the four greatest programs in college basketball history i would argue the greatest Um, but i think they really canceled the tournament because we weren't going to be in it Um, so that's my theory but in my lifetime 36 years, next month, we've won the championship and ended on a win only three times. And that's like one of the best. Three out of 36. Those are pretty bad odds. But the news is far worse for all of us. Barring the return of Christ, each and every single one of us, each and every person who has ever lived ends their life with a loss. Each and every single one of us ends this life with a death. There are no upsets. There are no beating the odds. You will die. Maybe it is next week with the coronavirus. Maybe it's in a couple of years with a car accident. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe you live another 60 years and die in a good old age. But in the grand scheme of things, compared to eternity, what's really the difference? Death is coming for every single one of us. And yet, Psalm 23, walking through the valley of death, fearing no evil. How? It's very simple. For you are with me. That's it. That's everything. That's why Psalm 23 is the most beloved psalm. Psalm, Because of the promise of the presence of God. And so, it is the Lord that is always set before us. It is in his presence that there is fullness It is at his right hand that we find pleasures forevermore. You need to today, surrounded by craziness, maybe surrounded by coronavirus, rejoice and rest in the presence of the Lord. The goal of the Christian life is the presence of God. The fuel of the Christian life is the presence of God. Refuge, inheritance, security, joy, pleasure, all because of the presence of God with his people verse 11 is just unsurpassed in the beauty of what it offers this is masterful writing but more importantly this should be for you mastering truth for you are with me and remember this this is what we've been talking about this is what we get all theological let's talk about covenant this is what covenant is all about i will be your god and you will be my people he's with us and he does not change He is with us, and he is refuge. He is with us, and he is goodness. He is with us, and thus we can have confidence to face all things. But that raises one last question. How can he be with us? It is is David who is writing this psalm. The David that we know will go on to do some terrible things. Murder, adultery, bad parenting. Listen, according to to, to the Bible, bad parenting should be up there on the level and on the same list as the murder and as the adultery. All of them sins. And we know that sin separates. The wages of sin is death. So how could this sinful David have such confidence that a perfectly holy God would be with him? Because of verse 10. Look at verse 10. Last thing, and I'll be done. Four. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. That verse is why God is a refuge to David. David doesn't have to fear death, the most fearful thing. But hold on. Think about it. David did die. David's body very much decayed. It very much did see corruption. How in the world, then, are we to understand this verse? Well, it's only, obviously, by understanding that it's not really about David. Turn to Acts chapter 2, page 910, and then we'll be finished. Acts chapter 2, page 910, where we see this verse next used. Peter's first sermon. And it's there that Peter so masterfully Uh, proclaims Jesus Christ. Look at verse 23 of Acts chapter 2. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, uh, loosing the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, notice what Peter is saying there and claiming, He's saying that David was writing ultimately about Christ. And so look at verse 27, where David quotes directly from Psalm 16. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And so then look down at verse 29. He goes on to point out that David is very much dead and buried. Therefore, these verses cannot be about David, but only about Christ because he is very much not dead and buried. Therefore, these verses can only be about him. Verse 31, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses. And that is why you can have confidence in all circumstances. That fact is why uh, you can have confidence in craziness, confidence in coronavirus, confidence in death, because God has raised Jesus up. When you think about Acts, Acts is awful. Like the book, it's, it's a terrible experience for all of those guys, but they don't care because Christ is alive. And over and over and over again, the thing that they preach in the book of Acts is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is that fact that changes everything for The apostles. And that is what I want to be a witness of for you today. That is what I want to encourage you with the resurrection. Because resurrection implies death. Why did he die? Because of my sin, because of your sin. Because if our only hope is the presence of the Lord, it is God with us, then our sin raises a very significant problem. Our sin is a spiritual virus far more deadly than the worst physical virus with a death rate far higher, 100%. Unless God intervenes, unless God does something. And that's what the gospel Is all about. Your sin, your rejection of God, and your failure to keep His law separates you from Him and deserves death, eternal death. That is what you deserve and owe for your sin. I don't have to argue with you. You know that you're a sinner. You know that you have that guilt. We all of us are. But the good news of the gospel is that God makes a way for guilty sinners to be forgiven. And that way is his son, Jesus Christ, who comes to take our place, to take our sin and to die for us and for that sin. He gets our death. He pays the penalty for our separating sin so that we can get his life And be restored to relationship with God. Sin separates us from God. Jesus comes to deal with that sin. So that we can once again be in his presence. And if that's true. And if he has done that. And if we actually believe all of this stuff that we say that we believe. Then nothing else matters. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Not tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, or sickness. Then Christians don't fear death, the most fearful thing, because Christ has already faced death and defeated it for us. Spurgeon, writing at a time that was far more dangerous than ours, writes, The Christian need not dread sickness, for he has nothing to lose, but everything to gain by death. As we saw Paul say in Philippians 1.21, is easy to say back in the fall, can we still say it today? For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Do we believe that? Sometimes. Not all the time, probably. Death, the most terrible thing, becomes the most blessed gain for the Christian because of Christ. And, and that's why Christians do not have to fear. That's why we do not panic. That's why and how we can have confidence in all Circumstances. So, express your confidence in the Lord. Remember and rehearse regularly the benefits of the Lord, and then rejoice and rest in the presence of the Lord. This isn't circumstances cannot change any of that. A coronavirus cannot touch any of that. We have a refuge. We have a place and person of perfect security because our one great enemy, sin and death has already been dealt with and defeated by Christ so that we could be with God and God be with us. And that's the best thing. Brothers and sisters, that's what you were made for. So be confident in Christ in all circumstances. If you would, bow with me and let me close us with a word of prayer. Father, we are thankful for your grace. We are thankful that you have given us your word that is timeless and that is true. And it speaks to any and every circumstance we may find ourselves in. So I pray that you would drive us to your word. I pray that you would help us to set you always before us. I pray that we would fix our minds on Jesus. That we would fill our minds with the things of God. And that we would interpret our lives. That we would interpret everything that's going on around us. And that we would interpret the news only through the lens of your word. And of your gospel. And of the good news of the life that we have in Jesus Christ. Father, help us not to forget. Um, Use your word now to encourage and to comfort the hearts of your people. And we ask and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.